Hello, and thank you for joining us today for another episode of FYI, the Public Libraries Podcast. I'm Kathleen Hughes, Manager of Publications for the Public Library Association. Today, my guest is Jeffrey P. Fisher, Studio Services Manager at Fountaindale Public Library Studio 300, located in Bolingbrook, Illinois. Jeffrey is the author of the latest book in PLA's Quick Read series, Building and Operating a Digital Media Lab. Welcome, Jeffrey. Thank you, Kathleen. I'm happy to be here. Let's get started right off the bat. You can tell us what is a digital media lab? Almost everything patrons are doing in a digital media lab revolve around a computer, revolve around software. So they may be making videos, doing digital photography, they may do graphic design, they may be doing audio production, podcasting like we're doing right here. Uh, those are the kinds of things that happen in a digital media lab. Tell us a little bit about Studio 300. We're very fortunate with Studio 300. It's a very large lab in the lower level of the Fountaindale Public Library. We're coming up on about almost four years now. We have a variety of different spaces within that. We have one large media lab uh, using iMac computers. So we have 18 iMac computers running all kinds of different software from Adobe Creative Cloud to GarageBand, all of the things that are typical to the Mac environment. We have two video studios that also double as photography studios. We have six audio studios for doing podcasts, for doing music production. And we also have some meeting spaces, some high-tech meeting spaces where you can share content and, and work together on that. So it's, it's just a beautiful, beautiful space. And we have a tremendous equipment package too as well. Lots of video cameras and microphones, scanners, digitizing equipment. We have a 3D printer too. And uh, it's just a beautiful lab. We're very, very fortunate. So you offer all of these interesting softwares and digital items for people to play with. So if they don't already know what to do with these things, do you offer programming lessons for how to use some of the more sophisticated things? We do about 25 programs a month, which range from things like Photoshop one-on-one to video editing to podcasting. We have a variety of resources that are available, uh, things like lynda.com, which is a video-based training library that's available for our patrons to use. Staff is there all the time. We always have at least two staff members on desk, usually a little bit more than that. And they have a wide range of skills so that they can help people. Uh, We always say we never know what's going to happen when somebody comes off the elevator. You never know what kind of project it's going to be. So we help one-to-one whenever we can. We actually schedule one-on-ones too. Uh, So somebody wants to learn something. We tend to do that more project-based. So instead of say, I want to learn Photoshop, well, I can't teach you Photoshop in an hour, but maybe I have this old photo of my grandparents that has a tear in it. Can we scan that and fix that tear and restore that photo? Absolutely. Let's sit down. We'll show you how you can do that. The staff uh, has kind of go-to skills typically, but I really look for people who have more broader range skills Mm -hmm. as well as having that personality to say, I have no idea how to do it. Let's figure it out. And not everybody can do that. Not everybody can be in that situation and say, I don't know. When the patrons leave, when they're happy, when they're excited about something that they were able to either create themselves or with a little help, uh, that's always a, always a good feeling. Can you think of one that was like your most favorite or the one that most impressed you? Oh, absolutely. I shared this one in, in, in the book too as well. Had a patron come in, she had a audio cassette recording of her grandfather narrating a slideshow and she had those slides. What we did is we digitized the tape, so we got that into the computer, cleaned it up because it was a little noisy, a little messy, so we have some software to help with that. Then she scanned all of the slides and then took that slide, took that audio, combined that into a video and effectively recreated an event that had happened 40 years ago, 50 years yeah, ago. Yeah, that's great. Yep. And she made those little discs for her family and shared that at, as, a, as a holiday gift for her family. And yeah. it just, I love that story. I loved being a part of it. I helped with a, a good chunk of that. And it just always has a little place in my heart. 
That's a great story. Can you tell us about some other libraries that are doing great things in this arena? One of the first ones, I think, to really start was the Skokie Library. And we we definitely got a lot of help from them when we were starting out. Rather than build one big lab, they had one small room, which they used for the adults. And then they built like smaller labs in the children's department and the teen department, which I think was a great use of space to do that. So they're always one to watch. There's a a new thing that they're doing, which is a kind of a maker-related hands-on space, which I believe you did a podcast about, about their boombox. We did. That's a very interesting story, that. Arlington Heights. I think is another great example where they had a small room that they kind of started with as a proof of concept and then they did a big renovation and then when they did the renovation they created a more of a hub concept so they had some several rooms that built off of one central area and so it started small and got bigger. The concept's really scalable. You can certainly start with a scanner and a computer in the corner of the room and that could be the start of your lab and you can build from there. I like to use the example of the Ela area library up a little bit further north from where we are here. And uh, they had two like janitor's closets and then they put in little green screens, they put in computers, they put in scanners, they put in the software they needed. They did all of the uh, instructional material, cameras, everything is all in these tiny little spaces and it works really well and the patrons love it. And I just, I really salute that, that you just took a little space, had an idea and went with it. And it's kind of interesting. It's a kind of a close knit community. Everybody kind of knows everybody and uh, we certainly converse. Uh, we converse via email and some, some lists and, and talk about things that are going on and I'm up forever looking around to see what everybody else is doing. I assume maybe they're coming and looking and seeing what we're doing too as well. And and we all learn from each other and, and grow from there. Does it seem to you like digital media labs are overtaking makerspaces or do you think they're two completely separate things? I think the words are kind of interchangeable today, to be honest. Um, we are particularly a digital media lab right now, but we've actually kind of started a little internal group to, to look at that and to bring that in. We were kind of doing it very ad hoc, to be honest. So, you know, here's a program. Hey, I got to come up with an idea. And we really needed to think uh, a little bit more strategically in what we were doing and, and have a plan for what we're going to do for, say, K through two, and then the tweens and the teens, and and then on from there. And so we're growing that way, building a lot more electronics, a lot more hands-on things, and some soft maker things in there too as well. So so we're, we're excited about that aspect. So for our listeners who are interested in implementing a digital media lab at their library, what are first steps that they should do first? I think having a positive vision, really having a vision of, of what it is that they want to do. It's very easy to say, you know, hey, let's build a lab. Well, what does that really mean? What what do you want to happen? And kind of taking that, you know, projecting forward and say, I want to look in a lab and I want people doing photography and I want them, you know, doing music and, and doing these things. And then backcasting. What is it going to take me to get to that ultimate vision? So rather than think, oh, we got to build a new building, we got to do that. You know, what spaces do you already have? What things are you already doing? You may be doing a lot of these things already in programming. You know, you're offering technology classes. So is it a great stretch to move into some of these other areas? Uh, you got to f- kind of find out where your staff is at. And so having that vision of where it's going to go and then maybe create a little steering committee um, from different areas and, and to drive that and see where that's going to go. And then, of course, go out and see what everybody else is doing. You know, there's no reason to do this in a vacuum. I think when New Media started and, and maybe even to a lesser extent Skokie, um, they, nobody else was doing this. They were really the leaders in that. Uh, you don't have that problem anymore. You can really look at a lot of different labs all around the country and get an idea of what might work and what might not work for your particular library. What are some ways to gain support from administration and board for this idea? When you kind of think about a digital media lab and a maker space, it's a natural extension of what libraries have already done. 
So maybe in the past, libraries had technology, typewriters, and then fax machines, and then computers, and then high-speed internet, and Wi-Fi, <laughs> record players, exactly. So I mean, that's kind of the next step. Everybody's a media consumer. Now you can be a media uh, creator as well. And that speaks to digital literacy, something that I think is very important for people to realize and understand, really selling that concept that it is the next step for the library to offer these things for everybody, to really bridge that digital divide, to, to democratize a lot of this creation material for those people who maybe can't afford it or just want to learn and discover those. And it's, it's a natural part of the library's mission. So I think you know, selling it that way is very important. Uh, finding similar spaces in the country that might mirror what you're doing in your library, what you're capable of doing. Again, we had this giant space in the basement, so we decided to fill it. Uh, you might not be so fortunate as that. You might have just a janitor's closet, but you can see that somebody has taken that and taken that to a new level and made that available to their patrons. Let's talk about budgets. Okay. What, is, what are your thoughts on budgets? When I think in terms of just the space, equipment, the computers and that, um, that's probably a little more down to earth. Maybe not. I guess it depends on your point of view. You know, and again, that gets back to that scalable concept. It is possible. You don't have to start with everything. You really don't exactly. have to start with everything. You, you may already know demographically what's happening in your space and, and get an idea of what those patrons would want. Uh, you know, there's some perennial things that, that are great to start with, and, and that would usually be digitization equipment. So scanners that can scan slides and negatives and pictures, of course. You mentioned record players, being able, to, being able to digitize vinyl, being able to digitize cassettes as well. Oh, yes, and I forgot to mention VHS to DVD as well. That equipment is always being used in our space, and that's a great place to start. It's relatively inexpensive and can get you up and running quickly. And and you can get software that kind of mirrors that. So if you're going to do the scanning, it you know, makes sense to have something like Photoshop where you can do repair. If you're going to do some of the digitizing of, say, VHS, whether you're going to go to DVD or go into the computer, you can get you know, iMovie, some piece of software to, to work on that. So again, it's, it's very scalable. Sounds like you can start with some pretty basic items. Absolutely. Like, what are some some other things? Ancillary equipment, uh, for lack of a better term. Um, people may have a camera already, say a still camera or a video camera, but they don't have a tripod. We do a lot of uh, flash drives and hard drives that we circulate for the project. So it kind of mirrors more what we do, but those kinds of things go out. Things that people might not necessarily buy on their own, but gosh, it sure would be nice if I could get access to that for the three times a year I want to use that. For the equipment that's really in the lab, we work very hard to find really good equipment for that. So we have a terrific microphone collection because we do have the sound booths. We get a lot of people doing audio and music recording. We're starting to move in in the video realm into some 4K things. We're always hesitant to go too fast, too far. I don't yeah. want to be on the bleeding edge. I don't right. mind being up in, in the top there a little bit, but I don't want to be on the bleeding edge of those yeah. kinds of things. Can you talk a little bit about problem, any problems with security or vandalism or policies as far as, as taking out expensive equipment? I think what works for us, and I really recommend it to other libraries too as well, is we require anybody who's going to use the lab to take an orientation. And we do go over the rules and regulations and give them an idea of really what they're getting into. You know, it's not uncommon in the case of, say, like our television system. When you're checking that out, you're checking out the room, the lights, microphones, HD cameras, and a, and a big full-blown television system. It's actually about $25,000 with equipment, believe it or not. And they're checking that out on their card. So we like them to kind of know what they're getting into. But it's also a great marketing opportunity because somebody may come in and say, oh, I want to do this. And then you say, hey, but did you know you could do this? And that happens all the time. Somebody says, oh, I got all those slides to scan. Hey, do you know that we do movies? Like, you do movies? 
I got like a box of those for my uncle. I need to do those. So it's a great opportunity to really sell the whole lab and get at the procedures and get people in mind with that. It's a way for everybody to see that we're serious about what we're doing here. We want you to have fun. We want you to create some amazing things. But we're also got a little bit of demand, too, as well, that we want you to give back to us. What policies do they need to be thinking about creating? Adults 18 and over have full access to the space. Um, well, we're next to a middle school, so we wanted to make sure that we could kind of cater to that market. Uh, so for our 12 to 17 year olds, we allow them to have access to the space if the parents sign a waiver. Uh, so we make everybody, the parent as well, has to come and take the orientation. They can't just sign that waiver because we will link their accounts and actually everything gets checked out on the adult's account. So the parent or guardian comes to orientation, the 12 to 17 year old comes to orientation, they go through and have an idea what's going on and then they can sign that waiver. So we develop policy for that to do the waiver and just the general policies, uh, you know, our computer use is two, two hours, the rooms were four hours. Um, you can't use more than one room a day, things like that. We had a, an issue where you might have three patrons, they all have the card, so they're going to use it for four hours, and then the second guy is going to use it for four hours, and the third girl is going to use it for four hours, and next thing you know, the same group is there for 12 hours. And so they kind of make it more available to everybody. It's four hours, the group's substantially the same, they're it for the day. And four hours is really a, a good amount of time, I think, personally. So, you know, developing those, how you're going to deal with that. Our checkout procedures are fine, so those are the typical policies that we did. So thanks for all of that great information. That's all the time we have. Again, I'm Kathleen Hughes, Manager of Publications for the Public Library Association. Thanks, Jeffrey, for your time today and for sharing all of this great information. And thank you to our listeners for joining us for this conversation. Be sure to check out Jeffrey's new book, Building and Operating a Digital Media Lab. You can find more information about it at www.pla.org. 